The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor for America Magazine. And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world, gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of our team joins us here in the studio. Ashley McKinless is an associate editor. And one of the three persons in the triune co-hosting <laughs> <laughs> role <laughs> of, <laughs> of uh, a de- the on podcast dangerous Trinitarian theology here. <laughs> Hello, happy yeah. to be here. We will be speaking today with Lisa Hendy. She's the founder of CatholicMom.com. She's the best-selling author of The Grace of Yes and uh, the children's book series Chime Travelers and uh, a new children's book out, I Am God's Storyteller. You can learn more about her writing and speaking at lisahendy.com, and you can hear her speak with us right this minute. Lisa Hendy, welcome to the show. Hello. It's so great to be with you. We are very glad Happy to have Easter. you. Thank you. Alleluia. He has risen. Yeah, you can say that again. <laughs> uh, so, Lisa, you wrote for us um, about your move uh, to Los Angeles from Northern California, um, and about how it was not really something that you had expected, but something that's brought a lot of um, joy to you. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, your you reacted when you first were faced with this decision? Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually a transition for my husband, Greg, and I were this year we'll be married, let's see, over 30 years. Um, and uh, his career was had us settled in Fresno, California, which is kind of central California, very suburban setting, kind of in the middle of the state, in almost like a Midwestern kind of style city um, in California. And um, my husband received this wonderful job offer um, three years ago now um, to um, accept a job as the uh, chief of the emergency department down at UCLA, which is where he did his residency training. So in a way, it was kind of like back to uh, back to some of our early roots as newlyweds. But the transition between Fresno and L.A. is humongous because Fresno is, um, you know, suburbia, um, affordable. Um, and Los Angeles is just Los Angeles. It's, it's wonderful and um, exciting and a big financial difference and much more urban than we were used to. So we spent a lot of time praying just for God to show us you know, the path to make it really obvious. And the obvious answer became that we would be moving to LA. So we found ourselves living down there. And, and you know, it, it, kind of at a, a point in our marriage where we've been together for so many years, experiencing a whole new lifestyle together. Yeah, I uh, related to this piece because I also got a job offer that I couldn't resist six years ago that brought me to <laughs> New York City <laughs> to work for America Magazine. Um, and I, I felt pretty lucky to be coming to America because I was kind of plopped into a faith community. Um, but I'm wondering wondering what, what you did to find find a good Catholic community once you were in Los Angeles. Boy, that was a really big thing because honestly, for me, leaving our home in Fresno, I I left my house and said goodbye to it and didn't really look back. But leaving my parish was the real kind of gut check. And that was the thing that I really, really missed because that's where, you know, our faith home was just so close to us. And so when we arrived in LA, you know, I used all the apps and checked out, you know, what the parishes were around us. And, you know, within a five mile radius of us, 
about 14 different options of places to go to church. So we visited seven of those for Mass and, you know, again, really prayed about how we were being called to, uh, you know, to use our gifts. Not, you know, when you go to parishes in big cities, they often have these welcoming crews that make you feel so welcome and everything. But it's like, where are the gifts that we have really going to be best used? And the place that we eventually settled on, I was a little bit surprised about, um, but it's turned out to be a wonderful faith home with us but you know not immediate not overnight that you have to really work to uh to find a home and to make it a home Mm -hmm. and one of the things that you uh, mentioned in this piece is that um you say i i I have learned that it was not only those poor among us who needed jesus's love often the wealthiest people i have met were the ones who were facing the greatest spiritual poverty and loneliness and there's something about um uh, urban environments that that bring things like that uh, that bring a clarity to insights like that 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 you don't necessarily find elsewhere. Like it always strikes me that 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 a city can be one of the loneliest places in the world, right? Because you're, you're even though you're surrounded by people. Oh, absolutely! It was such a big change for us when we first moved. We lived in a, a pretty urban apartment, and I was walking. We got rid of one of our cars, and I, I pretty much walked everywhere. And so I share in the piece that the first people that I met were actually my unhoused neighbors who lived in our neighborhood. That they were the ones who were most frequently there to say hello in the morning, and I knew their names. And you know, was they were a regular part of my day as I went to the bank or the market or whatever. Um, but my work actually now, ironically, takes me quite often into the film industry. I do a lot of movie reviews now, both for Catholic Mom and for um, my personal writing as well. And so I found myself frequently driving over to Beverly Hills and sitting in movie junkets with all kinds of actors and production people and directors for different newly released movies and you know it just is such a for me the contrast was quite stark and um i don't know if any of you have ever ever covered movies in your work but often if there's any faith related um aspect to the film when you represent yourself as somebody who's a writer in a faith you know format um the the uh talent will open up to you about their own spiritual journey and i found that as kind of a unsuspecting uh, mission territory for me that often just to be a person of faith in those places was a gift and, you know, not to try to um, force it on anyone, but to engage in those conversations when they came up. I was, I was surprised at how often that happened and who it happened with. Well, and they, they, I mean, I would imagine um, that, that it's, it's not a topic that comes up easily in those environments, right? So that the, they're having the opportunity to talk about it is probably welcome. I think so. And, you know, it's interesting that I don't, I don't sort of walk in the door and immediately say, yeah. hi, I'm a writer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but it comes up, you know, when people ask me about my work, whether it's in a setting like that, or even just, you know, taking an airplane out of, out of LAX, Los Angeles International, you know, often people will say, where are you going and what are you doing? And I'll mention, you know, what it is that I do and what I write about. And then um, it's sort of like people are looking for that opportunity to maybe have a conversation about hurts that they have related to their faith or right. um, confusion that they have about the church and, and simply to try to to listen and hear them where they are, um, to be a loving presence, to encourage them. I've had some whoppers of conversations with Uber drivers. <laughs> There's something right. very therapeutic about having somebody in your backseat that says they're, 
you know, a church-going person that sometimes opens people up to conversations that you wouldn't expect. That's so true. Always be ready, First Peter three fifteen, but with a gentleness, right? Right. Is there any particular conversation that was uh, particularly notable for you with a, with one of these sort of film uh, folks, of whether a movie star or a production person, something that someone said to you that where you, where you also sort of learned something from them? I'll say one of the most remarkable conversations that I had, and it was last year, was with Morgan Freeman, um, and um, who is just, you know, when you walk into the room with him, and he was there to discuss a, a project that he has. I think it's called The Story of Belief or something like that. I should know the answer to that, but it was it, he's a seeker, um, definitely. And is it, is that the, is it the, the Story of God? Is that what it's called? Yes, The Story of God. That's it. So we, we were having a conversation related to that project, and you know, typical um, interview type of conversation. But then at the end of it, you know, his publicist called the time, you know, was up and I was getting ready to leave. And, and he said to me in that very iconic Morgan Freeman, or like the voice of God, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's played God. He says, Lisa, why do you think that God made women so much better than men? And behind him is his publicist who's giving me the, uh, your time is up, you know, thing. So he said, well, Mr. Freeman, sometime I'd love to talk to you about John Paul II's writings on the feminine genius. <laughs> it was just one of those moments where I was like, is this really happening right now? Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. And, and, but I found my conversation with him surprising because, you know, as that project represents, he's on a quest you know to understand and so just to sit with him and talk about you know his concepts of spirituality you know I learned some things from him that day and I hope I I hope I shared a few things with him too so now Lisa you um were talking about um your your work in movies uh the other side of that um is the work that you do with kids uh you visit a lot of schools um, to talk about some of your children's books, which are, um, I would imagine, interest, these conversations are interesting in different ways and have other things uh, to teach you, perhaps, than the movie star conversations. Oh, absolutely. I love so much visiting schools. A couple of weeks ago, I was actually um, at the Mission in Tucson um, on a Native Reservation land visiting about... 300 school kids and those are my favorite days and I mentioned the books but my main point of conversation is to kind of stress two things with them that we're each created to be what I'm calling a saint in the making we're not there yet but we're working on it and then secondly that we're all called to be God's storytellers and you know to encourage literacy with them and but also you know to uh, to really encourage them even something like dance or you know, um, a song or art or even video games can be a way of sharing the good news. Is that what you mean by God's storyteller? What, what does it mean to be God's storyteller in your definition? Yeah, so, I mean, this is something that I started talking about in these free school visits that I did, that I've been doing for the last few years. And I, I found that it was a theme that really connected with the kids that, you know, we look at storytellers over time and, you know, the Bible has many of them and we know many of them as Catholic saints, people that teach us the way the path, you know, to God um, through what Jesus taught. But we also look at, you know, what are the many different ways that each of us, no matter what age we are, called to tell God's story. And, you know, certainly books and writing are one of those ways, but there are so many different ways. And it's something that children really, I think, 
can understand and can realize that, you know, we don't need them to do this when they grow up. We need them right now to be setting a good example for us of um, sharing their faith. And they do it in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Are there any stories that you've heard from the kids that are stuck with you in the way that uh, Morgan's Freeman, Morgan Freeman's comments have? <laughs> you know, it's not really something about storytelling, but I always do a Q&A with the kids when I get ready to um, finish my visit with them. And they ask the most remarkable questions. And one of my books is about, um, it's one of my Chime Travelers books. It's about Sankateri Tekakwitha. And I had one little boy who raised his hand and said, Mrs. Sandy, have you ever stopped to consider the comparison between, you know, granted this was a third grader, um, between the comparison between Harry Potter and St. Kateri? And I said, wow, no. <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, that has not come up. No. And, and he said, yes. He said both of them were raised by um, their relatives um, because they didn't have their parents, and both of them had facial disfigurement. And so I said to him, which is true, you know, Harry Potter with his um, lightning symbol on his forehead and Sanctuary's smallpox with scars. So I said, wow, Benedict, you know, you really taught me something today. And I think maybe you're going to be a writer when you grow up, or maybe you're actually going to be a priest. You know, that was really a great thing that you taught me. And so his teacher actually contacted me the next day and said, the next day, that, that morning, his mother had come into the classroom and said, what did you teach these kids yesterday? Because my son came home last night telling me, Mom, I'm going to be a priest. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's never too early to encourage a vocation. (laughs) Right. And my nephew actually just uh, proclaimed that he was going to be either a priest or a car when he grows up. So he's keeping his options open. Mm. Just so you know. Make sure he knows the car is also an option. We don't want to narrow him down too soon. I want them to know that, um, you know, that they are, they are light and they teach us in the same way that we teach them and that they have so much to, you know, to give and to share. And, and I'm, I really find their, their insights remarkable. No, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Lisa, earlier in the show, uh, we were talking about a piece from Nathan Schneider about um, advice for new Catholics. And one of his tips was to to be open to the diverse ways there are of of being Catholic, because, you know, in different life stages, we, we approach the faith in different ways. Um, so you kind of you built a, a website and I assume your identity around being a Catholic mom. Um, and now that you're uh, empty nester. How how has that changed how you how you approach oh, your faith? It's it's amazing. Um, for one thing, I don't think you know. While I thought I think you know my my boys and now my daughter in law are not living under a roof. Certainly, they're at the top of my prayer list every day. So I I, I sort of get to be their uh, their prayer warrior in my own little way, um, and to kind of keep the lines of communication open. But, you know, um, now that I'm an empty nester, I find that now is the time when I, I you know you were discussing the corporal works of mercy, that just more time to be, um, to be present and to volunteer for things and to look for opportunities to serve. And, and for me, sort of one new thing that's happened in my own life is um, a transition with my parents, too, that I find myself as their aging being more involved in their lives and um, and in caregiving for them and and so you know it's it's a constant evolution but those acts of mercy you know it's a it's a consistent the people we're serving change but the call to serve never changes. Do your parents live near you uh, in Los Angeles? 
They don't. Actually, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm down in Gulfport, Mississippi, ah. um, and they live very far away from me in a very different part of the country. So, yeah, right. so I'm down here for an extended visit as we, we settled my mom into a, a new facility that she's staying in for her health. And, um, you know, it's a great time of transition and a, and a continual learning as, you know, as you learn with toddlers that, you know, you can say something with one intention and have it be received differently. Sure. That's, kind of a phase that we're in with my mom right now. And I find myself really leaning into um, the daily Psalms and um, scripture just to kind of help fuel me through this particular journey. Yeah, I was going to ask if there are different... Treat her with great dignity. Yeah, I was going to ask if there are different um, prayer prayer styles or or spiritual resources that you've found helpful during this transition. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't um, often get to daily mass, and especially not down here. So praying the liturgy of the hours is huge, but I love just beginning my days with the Lexio of um, the daily readings and, you know, just really kind of looking at what the, it's remarkable how God gives us exactly what we need um, for our day. So that's a huge thing for me. And then I'm a, a big follower of, um, venerable Patrick Payton and the family that prays together stays together. So right. here, even with my mom and dad, you know, uh, extemporaneous prayer, especially in difficult moments has been a great blessing. Is there uh, anything that your mother taught you, um, that you, uh, in, in, in terms of sort of prayer or the spiritual life or coping with things that you are, that is now sort of a, um, tool that you use in a way to, to deal with the changes that you have in your relationship with her now? You know, Carrie, I find myself, and it's very tender, um, when I kind of tuck her in at night in this place that she's staying at, um, I pray the angel of God prayer over her. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you pray that with your children at all, but that was a mainstay in our prayer, in our prayer life, you know, that we would every night, that was our bedtime prayer. And my mom would tuck us in and pray that with us. And then we, you know, God bless everyone. And if we were trying to stall bedtime, we blessed a lot of names of people. And um, <laughs> I've been praying that with her since I've been down here and, and doing the same thing and in, in almost in reverse. And she's learning to stall too. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's quite, um, it's quite lovely um, to, to have a traditional prayer like that um, be a part of what she's remembering and to share it with her at this moment in her life when things are confusing and challenging for her. It's, it's a real blessing. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, yeah, my three-year-old has, in his prayer life, blesses various people in his lives, or occasionally <laughs> random objects like the Trucks. wall. <laughs> no, he once said, I said, who do you want to pray for? He said, the wall and grandma. <laughs> I said, all right, well, you, and I texted my mom and I was like, well, you made the list, but bad news, you're below the wall. The wall is being, I didn't make the list, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can, I can, I can identify with that. That's really, that's beautiful. And I'll tell you, I've been um, proclaiming to Jesus that I trust in Him a lot these last few weeks, even when it's very challenging. That, that Jesus, I trust in You, or come Holy Spirit, just in moments where I find myself kind of losing my cool a little bit, um, have been really beneficial. So maybe a future piece for America magazine. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, one of the things about, um, and I shared this in the, in the article too, that um, I think we find places that are church for us, you know, certainly our parishes, but also just sacred spaces and certainly 
being here with my parents right now is a very sacred opportunity. Yeah. How have your conversations with your own children who are now adults about faith changed uh, as, as they've grown up? Have you found that they've, um, you have a, a different sort of conversation now with them? Oh, definitely. And, you know, my boys are philosophers and ask every big question. So they give me a great opportunity to continue to learn and, you know, to kind of ponder what it is our church teaches and to see things from their perspective. And and often the conversation is, is not about having all the answers. It's about talking about digging into those answers more deeply together and, you know, praying for things. And I, I certainly think that um, with them, you know, that um, the church that they grew up in and that they are now young adults in is, you know, different than the one that I experienced. And and so, you know, they're both um, actively living independent lives, and I, I don't have a mind control over them, but I do have a great dialogue with them, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And um, and just grateful to see how their faith flourishes in their lives through the way they're sharing their gifts. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you think is the most important thing that um, that parents can hand on to their children uh, to to ensure that they have a, 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 a an active faith life as an adult? I, I think um, one of the greatest gifts, I'm still a work in progress as a mom, so I won't claim to have any expertise on anything, but I'll, I'll say one of the greatest gifts my parents gave to me um, was was certainly a sense of the unconditional love of God mm. and God's mercy. And and to live in a home that really truly was a domestic church, I was kind of, I, I was born in 1963 and kind of catechized in the heyday of post-Vatican too. So I don't know my Baltimore catechism and right. <laughs> learning my faith as a grown up. But, um, but I think, you know, even though we didn't, you know, um, have a lot of the, the rubrics that were, we were memorizing, we lived in a home where our parish was the center of our family life and, and really where God's love was always present. And, um, and they modeled that for us. And I know that's a great gift that I had that you know, I was raised with that. And that's one thing that I've tried to have an ongoing conversation with our family about is just that, you know, not only that God loves us, but that he made us for a unique and remarkable purpose. And that even if our work is secular or like my younger son is a musician, you know, that that's a, a talent that God gave him and that it's meant to be used for a very special reason. And I think to affirm their their giftedness and to help them connect, connect their mission to God's purpose for their life um, yeah, is one yeah. thing I, I often talk about. So yeah. I, of, I always say that the most important um, thing that my mother gave me was her, the joy, the joy that came from her faith. That, that that's what she, oh, that's absolutely. what she gave me. And uh, the rest of it, I was also catechized in the seventies. So I know nothing. But. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you picked up on one or two things. Yeah, along maybe the along way. the way. <laughs> the nineties weren't much better. <laughs> but no, as, as a young person who's still active in the church and working for a ministry um, in the church, uh, I often get asked by adults with aging children, like, like, what was the secret? What did your parents do to that? Like made you stay Catholic. And, yeah. and, and it is as simple as, yeah, showing me unconditional love. And, and I think for me, in, instead of joy, the main thing was forgiveness. Like my mom forgiving me for all the times I was, um, <laughs> a rebellious youth. <laughs> uh, that, that was, that's how I learned who God was. Yeah. 
Well, the well, piece. I, I think I, oh, what I was just going to say is I know from my my husband's journey into the church, he's a convert, and he came in 17 years after we were married. And you know, I've, I realized with him that I can only control my own spiritual journey with Jesus. I can pray for and try to be a blessing to other people, but yeah. ultimately, you know, we we each walk that walk with Jesus alone. So. The piece is called uh, Here's How One Catholic Stays Faithful in the City of Angels. It's in the April 29th issue of America. It's by Lisa Hendy. Thank you so much for being with us, Lisa. Thank you. God bless the great work you do. Uh, thank you. You too. Take care. Um, I, I always enjoy talking to her. She's mm-hmm. such a r- remarkable writer and um, and just all around great person. The um, I, I, I also was going to be either Batman or a priest. I was going to be a nun or a marine biologist. (laughs) Oh, I also had a marine biologist stint for a while. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Maybe Mm. if this doesn't work out for us, actually, we have we can form our own backup. Like a real one, not like a George Costanza Seinfeld marine biologist. (laughs) I really like the aquarium. Well, I figured, you know, I was telling my nephew recently that uh, one of my nephews that I actually was either going to be Batman or I was going to be a priest when I was a child, and he actually said to me. Well, you, you know, you, you you basically wear black and you go around <laughs> saving people. So, so you've, yeah, yeah, you six of one, half dozen of your another. Goals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well done. Well That's done. Exactly right. Well, you have been listening to America this week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM one twenty nine. Uh, you can find uh, all of the content that we've talked about today at americamagazine.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And to subscribe to America Magazine, call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Ashley McKinless and Kerry Weber, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you and good day. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.